0: All right, let's do this. This
1: is Badass Women of History with Jillian and Kendra. For so long, women were silent.
0: If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Hear me now. And I'm Jillian.
1: And today on Badass Women of History, we are talking about Empress Theodora, who is one of my favorite historical people for a number of reasons. Jilly, tell me a little bit about when the first time you heard about Theodora was.
0: I sort of have known about her for a while. Um, I I dated an ancient, or well, not ancient. I found someone. This old guy? He's already achieved so much, and yet he's still goal-oriented and still focused, and he has a five-year plan. What is it, don't die? But I dated a scholar of Roman history for a while, and, and he really, really liked Theodora, but I didn't get to really, really know her. Until I started taking um, some ancient art history, not ancient, but like Roman and Greek art history classes. And she falls into the latter category of that. And pretty much when I started to get to know her, I went, oh, yes, please. Oh, my God. Tell me more about this fantastic woman. Please, sir. I want some more. From an art historical point of view, which we will, of course, get into later, she is legit legitimately fascinating like there is so much yes about everything that she does and and what she represents for women and stuff like that when it comes to representation and art that just blows me away every time I think about her she's just incredible and just historically like the more I started reading about her and the more I started learning about just um yeah yeah she's she's up there with Margaret anyway When did you first learn about Madame Theodora?
1: When I first started learning about the Hagia Sophia.
0: And I've been in love with the
1: Hagia Sophia for ages. Oh my God. And it wasn't until, I think I remembered like seeing the Hagia Sophia and just being absolutely in love with it. And somewhere in high school, I think, we had somebody who put on a documentary about the Hagia Sophia and they started talking about Theodora. And I remember feeling like they really glossed over her. And I was like, well, why is she so prominent in the church? Yeah. And you're all like, yeah, whatever. Like she was like her husband built the church and but she's in the church and she was kind of she was kind of cool. She did some amazing things. Anyway, moving on again, I was like, hmm,
0: there's more to this hmm. story, I think there is
1: more to this story (laughs) and boy, howdy, is there a lot more to this story? Like I went years and I read about her and I had learned that she did some really great things and I'll go into those later. But the moment that I fell in love with Theodora was when I was in art school and my art history teacher was talking about the Hagia Sophia and he didn't talk about Justinian. He talked about Theodora and he was like, I need you to know what a badass Theodora was. And he proceeded to say, Theodora was raised by a bear keeper at the Hippodrome. And right there, I'm like, I would kill to have that be, like, the first line of my memoirs. <laughs> like, it's just, there's something about that. I'm like, she was raised by a bear keeper at the Hippodrome. That was her dad.
0: Now give me a big bear growl. Scare me. <laughs> oh,
1: her mom was a dancer and an actress. Um, dancers and actresses back then were very similar to Victorian times. It What it really meant was fancy courtesans or not so fancy courtesans, depending on where you were. No shame. Courtesans being,
0: you know, a really, really high term. Sex
1: workers. Sex work is real work. That's right. No shame in that game. So here is the thing. She was raised By those two people. She had two sisters, and she eventually became an actress like her mother. And by 15, she was a star at the Hippodrome. A 15-year-old girl being a star at the Hippodrome. Now, why was she a star at the Hippodrome? What kind of acting did she do? Well. She danced with bears. She danced in nothing but a ribbon. She apparently did an amazing recreation of Leda and the swan where she put grain on her nether regions.
0: No, no, <laughs> no, no. To get the swan no. to help her in her acting. Okay, so part of the reason, folks, why I'm freaking out a little bit, like, about this is because, like, and I think that... <laughs> swans confer- are dangerous. And they're so Swans good. are my thing. Well, they're also very dangerous, but, like, I also love swans. Like, they're probably my favorite animal. And so... and. They're mean, and they have teeth. Yeah.
1: But, I mean, she didn't put it on those nether regions. She just put it on, like, her stomach and stuff to, to simulate the swan being Zeus, you know, like you do. <laughs> <laughs> on a weekday. Whatever. it's cool. So, one of the other things how she's described is she was excellent at mimery. Pantomime. Miming. She was also a good clown. So, Honestly, at this point, I'm in love with Theodora. She has a sense of comedy that I find completely endearing. She's a badass who dances with bears, isn't afraid of swans, and has them eating out of her belly, I guess, (laughs) Uh, since it's not her hand. um, like It's just like that alone would have made her one of my favorite people in the whole white world. But 15, at 15, she she meets a dude. And not just any dude. Nope, no, not yet. This is this is before, this is oh, before. This is, oh, this, this is, is, this is the, the
0: before times. This
1: is the before times, yeah. She met, I want to say, Hekebalus, but he was the governor of what we now know as Libya. And she accompanied him... Um, She was the mistress to him. She accompanied him on his travels to North Africa, stayed with him for almost four years before returning to Constantinople. She was mistreated by him and abandoned by him. And she settled for a while in Alexandria where she uh, spun wool. Oh God, she's multi-talented. Like acting, singing, dancing, spinning. Like she's a quadruple threat. Those threats are gonna go up. Because she is the whole package. So yeah, she becomes a spinner. She um, converts to an early form of Christianity. She joined an aesthetic community near Alexandra. It was a branch of early Christianity called monophysitism. But the monophysite Christianity just held that Christ's nature was purely divine, whereas Orthodox Christianity believed that Jesus's nature was both human and divine. Doesn't really matter. At some point, she travels back to Constantinople and she meets Justinian, who's 20 years older than her. He was a farmer's son from present-day Serbia, and he had moved to the capital to work for his uncle. Also named, no, not Justinian, it was just Justin, I guess, to help him rise in power, and he eventually rose to the throne. Justin, not Justinian, but then Justinian. So Justinian, yes, was also that. But they were fairly mismatched. There was an age difference. Among
0: other things.
1: Among other things. Like you also, as she was an actress and a sex worker, there were certain laws that said, if you were in line to the throne, you could not marry a sex worker. Yeah,
0: he broke that law.
1: Well, he didn't break that law. We're going to get to that right now. Ooh. Because he met her and he was like, okay, she's smart. She's funny she's beautiful and i want to marry her but it is against the law so he's like well uh i don't like this law so i am going to change it not break the law he's like oh this law is stupid i am going to change this law so that i can marry theodora and no one is going to say oh you broke the law because you're a king they're going to be like oh you changed the law because it was wrong and she is legitimately my queen there will be no questions because i didn't break any laws
0: it's actually kind of genius. And the only brave thing he ever did in his entire life.
1: True fucking story. <laughs> so, neat thing is is he treated her like an intellectual partner in this marriage and in their in their rule. She was an equal. Absolute equal. But her name appears in pretty much almost all of the legislation passed while she was empress. She's the one who received foreign envoy. She's the one who corresponded with other rulers. Um, these are roles that were usually taken on by the emperor, not the empress.
0: Again, because I think by this point in time, you're sort of picking up what Kendra and I are putting down when it comes <laughs> to these amazing women and like how they are really honestly completely and totally like not just bending the rules but breaking the rules and setting and like destroying precedences that are set within their time periods and like really stepping out of the mold and stuff like that and and in some ways from all of the women that we're talking about because we need to also preface this is like in the fifth or sixth century in it's the sixth century yeah 560 550 530 i've always been so bad at dates that's why i could never be an art historian um (laughs) well among other reasons i also like eating um she's the first out of all of these women that sort of went you know what (laughs) literally fuck your societal standards when it comes to how women are supposed to behave i don't like these i am better at this than my husband is so i'm just gonna go ahead and do all of these things to
1: the point where as empress She, she's also one of the first rulers to recognize the rights of women. As empress, she set up a house where sex workers could go to live if they did not want to do sex work. Anymore. Anymore. She set up um, women's marriage and dowry rights. She championed anti-rape legislation. She found ways to support women who had been sold into sexual slavery. She expanded the rights of women in divorce and property ownership. She banned forced prostitution, which I need to stress, she did not ban prostitution she banned forced prostitution so that she was like, no, sex work is real work. If you want to do this work, you can do this work, but you cannot force someone else to do this work.
0: And that is super awesome. And not only that, she also championed a bunch of laws that protected the rights of sex workers and stuff like that within this. So if you want to be a sex worker, be a sex worker. Fucking sex work is real work. And by the way, we're also going to protect the fuck out of you because we understand that it is dangerous work.
1: Yeah. And then some of the other things that she did, I think she also, um, at that time, women didn't have guardianship over their own children, but she gave them that right. At that point, men only had guardianship over the children. So this one gave women guardianship rights. She did a lot to protect and help women and girls who were in need or in danger but she also was known to attack women um, who had more power than her. And yeah. I think one of them was Empress Euphemia.
0: And this is another point, like, and, and we talked about this with Margaret, and um, I'm sure that this theme will come up again and stuff like that, is while a lot of their traits and a lot of what they do is is very important and very good and, and should be recognized and honored and, and emulated in a lot of ways, they also do some pretty shitty things. And Theodora was definitely one of them. Like if she got even the slightest thought that you were going to do something even remotely shady, or if she just didn't like the look of you and you were a noble woman and she thought that you were like getting a little uppity. She would end you. Crush you like a bug. So she's a little problematic in that. She is not like my sisters are my sisters. I mean, she is because she's definitely like looking out for people, for the women from the social class in which she came from and where she saw the most problematic treatment of women and did everything that she could within her power to help them. But she also sort of didn't understand that this was a reoccurring theme or a, a common thread theme within marriages and stuff like that within the nobility of the time as well. And I think that there's some stigmatization that she had from growing up like impoverished and and in the sex work trade and everything like that. That maybe she carried over into her adult life where she, you know, didn't necessarily understand that, well, yes, these, these wealthy women had privilege. They were still in a lot of times basically sold into these marriages and didn't have the laws to protect them and stuff like that. But don't get me wrong, man. She's a badass and we love her.
1: There's a lot of things that happen. But one of the other things that's really interesting is not long into their rule some chariot races had become a riot and they crowned a new emperor because mob mentality is rough out there like hard times hard times whatever but justinian and his court wanted to run away they were like we got to get the fuck out of dodge and theodora said and i'm going to quote this because this is like this is badass bitch fucking energy if i have ever seen it
0: so epic
1: in my opinion flight is not the right course even if it should bring us to safety it is impossible for a person having been born into this world not to die but for one who has reigned it is intolerable to be a fugitive May I never be deprived of this purple robe and may I never see the day when those who meet me do not call me empress. If you wish to save yourself, my lord, there is no difficulty. We are rich. Over there is the sea and yonder are the ships. Yet reflect for a moment whether, when you have once escaped to a place of security, you would not gladly exchange such safety for death. As for me, I agree with the
0: adage that the royal purple is the noblest shroud. And she walked off the boat and she crushed the fuck out of the rebellion, restored Justinian the first to the throne and went, what bitches is what? <laughs> like that's literally how that went. And
1: then was like, Hey, now that we've done this, Let's rebuild Constantinople and get some works projects going there to give people jobs and to make things beautiful. And we're going to build the Hagia Sophia. Then we're back to the Hagia Sophia.
0: (laughs) And this is how we're going to get the people to love us and everybody to respect us and become, you know, the bestest of the bestest of the bestest. Um, And it wasn't just
1: beautiful things like churches, like the Hagia Sophia, aqueducts, bridges, infrastructure. Roads. Like actual things that people need. To yeah. do things.
0: But she also definitely realized that, yes, infrastructure is great and awesome. Um, I know that I'm personally a big fan of roads that work and aren't filled with potholes. <laughs> like, big fan. Amen. Ah, um, praise me. Um, But you also, it, when you're a ruler, you need to demonstrate your power. And especially if you're the ruler of a sort of new new church and 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 new religion, you need to demonstrate your power and you need to demonstrate your wealth and you need to flaunt it a little bit. And this is how we get the Hagia Sophia. Yep. Um, was basically Theodora flexing her muscles and being like, what bitches What? The
1: Hagia Sophia wasn't the only one. I think she built over 25 different churches during this time period. She was a little zealot. She, yeah. But of course, all good things come to an end. They're not sure what she died from. They said it could possibly can- be cancer or gangrene from some sort of You know, you could have got King Green from just getting a paper cut back then. But she passed away and it had a visible effect on Justinian. He never remarried. There was all of that after mourning. He ruled for another 17 years. But you can tell the effect that she had in political life because there is very little significant legislation after her death. That means theodora was driving all of that legislation and without her justinian was like well i guess i'm emperor now
0: i'm just gonna sit here and be sad that my wife (laughs) to be
1: fair if i lost theodora i would be heartbroken and i would be like hey y'all go on without me i need to recover for
0: 17 years
1: for 17 (laughs) years and then i'm gonna die Because I can't recover. It's okay.
0: It's fine. And rejoin my wife, who probably, you know, has had to make some sort of deal with St. Peter to let me into the pearly gates because I'm weak. I know. I didn't
1: get there on my own merit. (laughs) At all. And the last thing I want to say is that she's also another person who it's only been in the last however many years that she was seen as. A badass. Before that, they really focused on the fact that she was "quote unquote" lewd and um, oversexed
0: and power hungry,
1: vulgar and jealous and insatiable lust. She was a nymphomaniac. A lot of the things that people call women who have power or want power or ambitious, they are bitches. They are. She wasn't from the right class, so she's low and vulgar or. Because she had sex work in her history, she's not worthy of being a high-ranking person, and you can discount her for that work, which it's so
0: upsetting. And Ugh. here's the thing is, there are still people, there are still schools of thought, there are still old fucking white dudes, and you know, women with tons of internalized misogyny who think this way about this badass woman, who think that she is gross and vulgar and unworthy that
1: she only got to where she was because some man was head over heels over her just for her vagina which i
0: mean like to be fair that's probably how she got him in the first place then wooed him they said that he was smitten
1: he was smitten before he even touched her just because of the way she talked and i'm like if she's talking like this whole yeah you go ahead and take your boat I will die in royal purple. Then
0: strode off, said boat, and basically <laughs> led an army and squashed. Like, and the other rumor about this is, while this is all going on, Justinian is supposedly cowering and like hiding, like hiding, basically underneath his throne. Is is how the story within the art history world goes is you know she goes off and basically does this amazing badass thing keeps his throne while he's like cowering and freaking out about it um because but these
1: are her people yeah and i think that's the difference is like she knows these are her people he was the son of a farmer he became emperor farming is like a lot of the things you learn in farming is things that you need to know to run a country, like your supply chains, how do you feed people, how do you get things, places, like it totally helps be an emperor, not going to discount his experience being a farmer or discount farm work. But like the people who are rioting weren't farmers. The people who were rioting were the people who go to the hippodrome to watch bears dance. People who go to the hippodrome to watch her getting really weird, with a swan. Those are her people. I mean,
0: and I think that that is also part of the reason why their relationship worked the way that it did, is he he understood the logistical side. He understood um, the side that needed to be able to... And
1: having worked for his uncle Justin... Like, he learned the ins and out of what it takes to be an emperor. So, yeah. like, he had exposure to it. It wasn't... He just came bumbling off a farm and accidentally became emperor. He left the farm, helped his uncle get onto the throne, helped his uncle while his uncle was on the throne. Which wasn't
0: very long. It was only, like, six years. A few years or so, yeah. You know, whereas Theodora, what Theodora brings to this whole, whole relationship and stuff like that is an understanding of the people and the understanding of what people, like, there has to be a understanding of not only how to rule, but like what the people you're ruling need in that moment. And she really genuinely brought that understanding of of what Constance Noble meant. And you also have to remember that at this point in time, like depending on how big the farm was, you know, farming and being a farmer was a fairly prestigious lifestyle. It was it-
1: like being it was like being a, a business tycoon now, yeah. right? Because that's that is business right there is food for people. Or you, it's either that or you're a craftsperson, but with a farm, you have to, there's a lot more logistics involved. It's like a business business, not like a small, like, I own a shop. Yeah,
0: and, you know, you've got workers and you have to figure out how to pay them and how to, you know, organize them and get everything together and then, like, get livestock and and barter deals and stuff like that. So, we're not definitely not saying that Justinian didn't bring anything to this relationship. he I I mean, clearly he did if he was going to get this woman who was so phenomenal to fall in love with him, because she did love him. Mm -hmm. He clearly was bringing something to the table. Like, he clearly had something going on, but he also definitely recognized that his wife sort of understood the people and their needs and the laws that they needed and the regulations and all of that sort of stuff better than he did. And the fact that in, you know, the 6th century Byzantine Empire, there is a ruler who is a man clearly because men were rulers whose ego was healthy enough to understand that this wife of his was going to help solidify and and bring a sort of I don't want to say validity because it wasn't that but like definitely helped his diplomatic and you know legislative abilities in the way that she did is fucking mind-blowing it's mind-blowing now i know because i mean we're still fighting to make sex work
1: legal to make sure that all sex work is consensual that there are protections there to make sure that both the mother and the father have
0: custodial rights
1: custodial rights to children a lot of this stuff is stuff that we are still
0: fighting for in a lot of ways. You know, and the ending of forced slavery, Mm -hmm. um, sex trafficking, all, and this is stuff that she's addressing in 6th century Byzantine. Imagine what she would do right now. Right now. Crush it.
1: And there's like so many people out there right now who are putting forward, like pretty much the entire squad, AOC, Ilhan, all of them, they are out there putting out legislation that is for the people, yeah. not for the 1% who have a lot of money or for people who are ridiculously rich or ridiculously powerful. It's for the people who need those protections. Those are the laws that they're making. There's just so many people working right now, so many women, especially right now, working towards making the world better for everyday people, right? So that they can live their life in a consensual, healthy manner, whatever that looks like, no judgment. And I think that's amazing.
0: Absolutely. And a lot of people may be sort of wondering, like, you know, how we know Justinian thought of Theodora as, I mean, other than like the fact that her name is on all sorts of legislation and stuff like that. And this again goes back to the Hagia Sophia. Normally in churches up until this point, women were not depicted unless it was, um, a goddess or... Um, The Virgin Mary.
1: secret, or a secret sexy picture. Or a secret
0: sexy picture. That's it.
1: You're either a secret sexy picture or you're a goddess or a god. (laughs) Like, there is no, there is no, you are a person, you get a picture. This is literally, you are either someone's secret dirty picture or... You're a god. Which is sad or you're a god. And you're not necessarily a real person even if you are based on a real person. Like, you are an idealized version, not reality. And she was one of the first women to be depicted.
0: There are certain schools of art history who say she is the first woman. And not only that, she's the first woman within a religious temple to be depicted, which is huge considering, you know, you have to remember how important religion and the the church, both, you know, pre-Christian and Christian churches, you know, as Judeo-Christian churches were at this time. And this, her being depicted in this church would not have happened without Justinian's okay it just wouldn't have like no matter how great and good and glorious she was he had to sign off and on it and he
1: always reinforced that he always reinforced that they were co-rulers yeah, and when he absolutely. like he got the plague at some point and was in a coma for i don't even remember how long he was in a coma i want to say it was months or something. He was
0: out of commission for a minute. His cabinet, for lack of a better term, understood that she was in charge. Yeah, there was no undermining, nothing. And the other amazing thing about the depiction of Theodora in the Hagia Sophia is it isn't Theodora standing next to you, standing behind, standing with Justinian. He is on one side of the church. She is on the other side of the church. She is represented as a person who was whole, complete. Mm-hmm and significant in her own right and as a full person and as an autonomous creature which is like what I love her (laughs) I mean to the point that clearly I can't even get my words out like I'm so flabbergasted to get back to, you know, clearly what what Kendra and I do for a living. Like, the branding message that this sends is legitimately on point. You
1: don't realize how important it is until you have sat through 60 to 70 fucking hours of art history where you are looking at a dude and his shy, quiet, retiring wife next to him, sort of behind him, or sitting down while he's standing, surrounded by a billion fucking children, where you're like... Or
0: not even there. Or not even
1: there. yeah. Yeah. And to have this situation where she is portrayed as a whole person, important and worthy of her own inclusion with her own portrait, not as how she is in relationship to Justinian. And that was like shocking to see. After, like I said, years and years and years of seeing, anytime you see a woman, it's a later, it's a lot later than this. She's a courtesan or she is a mistress. She is not necessarily a queen. If she is a queen or a royal person, it is a bride painting. So they're painted a certain way. And then it's still what it is in relationship to the man who is having the picture
0: painted yeah until we get into like henry the second eleanor de aquitaine yeah. and then there's a bunch of like hidden and we'll talk about that later <laughs>
1: there's there's more like there's more but this is one of like if you sit through art history you don't always get the eleanor of aquitaine you don't always get these other ones they talk about it like when they talk about the... Even
0: Eleanor, like even the portraits of Eleanor, like she has her effigy. Yeah. yeah. But like every living painting of Eleanor, and she's either with Henry or her sons, and often, you know, they're depicted as like sort of these lovely pictures of familial bliss, but like if you actually sit down and look at them, they're basically Henry pretty much being like, fuck you, bitch, you stepped out of turn, and now I'm going to show you, and it was propaganda, like from Henry's side. Absolutely. And What's interesting about that is Eleanor is happening like 600 years, 700 years after Theodora. Mm -hmm. And Theodora is still like one of, until God, probably the, the 12th, 13th century, 14th century, somewhere around in there. One of the few women that's like really truly depicted within a realm of state of power as a tool of propaganda, as a way to talk about her power her autonomy her self-presence in such a public fashion because these are not private portraits like these they're they're there right now (laughs) you can still go to the Hagia Sophia and see these mosaics um, of Justinian and and Theodora um, standing one's on one side of the altar I think Theodora's on the left and Justinian's on the right or is it the other way around
1: I think it's the other way around I guess it depends on which way you're facing. If you're facing the door, it's one way. If you're facing the... So we're
0: both right.
1: (laughs) We're both right. It's fine. It's both. It could be either, depending on which way you're facing. Or Justinian can be in front of you and Theodora behind you, or Theodora in front of you and Justinian behind you. Either way, they're... Right across from each other.
0: (laughs) Both like next to the altar in equal positions of
1: power. The rendering of both is... Fantastic. Is equal as well. Then the mosaic work is incredible.
0: And the other thing is, is, I mean, because clearly we don't know how tall um, either Justinian or Theodora is and stuff like that. But their bodies within the scale at the Hagia Sophia are equal. They're both the same size. Mm -hmm. Which, like, when you think about that from a visual perspective, an art historical perspective, it literally means that they are depicted as being equal within this partnership. It's bananas. It's just, it's crazy sauce. Like, And you don't see this again. So good. For, I mean, I think the next time you see this is the the picture of um john what's his john what's his name and his wife in, I want to say, the 15th century Dutch painting by Van Eyck. The Arnolfini one? Yeah, where they're both sort of the same size, but she's a little bit back from him, but they're both... Is she
1: in a really green dress?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's the Arnolfini
1: painting. Yeah. But
0: the next time that you sort of see this, and again...
1: But even that, there is... It is in relationship to each other, so I have not even an argument there. Like, it is not Oh, no. No, no,
0: no. I think the only painting that I can really think of where, like, you sort of start seeing them sort of within this thing of equals and stuff like that, there are some Pictures of William and, and Mary of Orange where they're equals, which yeah. is hysterical because William was like 18 inches shorter than Mary was. We tiny little Dutchman. She was a giant. And he was a wee tiny little Dutch man. Oh I know. We find him Luke. Sorry. And then the one that David did of the the scientist and his wife right before shit just blew up, right around the French Revolution. Um. Yeah, and there are some Gainsborough ones where they're equal and stuff. But this is again.
1: But there's a lot. Like it's not common. So when you see them, you're like, "Well, this picture looks weird," and I don't know why. And then you have to like go through and like go, "Well, okay, well
0: she's the same height." Not only is it not common, the last two paintings that I was talking about, the one by David and the one by Gainsborough and stuff like that, are literally a millennial later. (laughs) I am not kidding. They are over a. They're over a thousand years after this. Like, so this is just. Fucking bonkers that this woman, and not only that, like not a traditional high born woman. This is a woman who literally worked her way up from the lowest class that she could possibly and the lowest standing in a point in time where, I mean, not that social standing and social and economic. It's all
1: a construct and it's just made to maintain power. Yeah, it's all a
0: construct and it's all bullshit and whatever. And not that it isn't completely and totally still prevalent now. I Mm -hmm. mean, it absolutely is. Look at what's going on as I gesture to everything. As soon as anyone finds out a
1: woman has sex work in her history, she is invalidated from being intelligent, worthy, um, able to run for office able to have like able to she shouldn't have children because she's got a moral failing like you see it now which
0: is hysterical because like the amount of you know being an an aging punk rocker myself like the amount of former sex workers that I know are like that are nurses lawyers human rights lawyers just doing amazing shit Mm -hmm. you know and they all did sex work by choice like they were all strippers and that sort of stuff they were all those by choice and like good on them like you know sex work is real work and it's dangerous work and it should be legislated and you know but it's a Choice and it's an okay choice. Like it that's a fine choice. If that's the choice that you want to make. And it's your choice, not anybody else's. And
1: it doesn't make you any less of an intelligent person, any less of a worthy person, any less of a moral person to do these things. Yes. Um, and I think that's where like it feels very forward thinking for Theodora to do this.
0: She's also doing it in a point in time when not only were were sex workers looked down on, but women were really looked down on and considered second-class citizens. And so, like, any woman, even if she was necessarily of high birth and high standing, was trying to do this, like, literally speechless most of the time when I talk about her. Well, clearly not because I'm just babbling on and on and on <laughs> about how freaking awesome she is. And I could do this uh, for another 20 years. And the
1: thing is, it's like, I tried to look up... Yeah, she, she had vendettas against some of the other women in power. And that's, like... That's not holding up all women. That is holding up only certain types of women. And there's some shitty behavior on her part, but the amount of good that one person did is still pretty amazing. And I think that's the part that for me, it's like, there's some people who say, oh, it's really easy to work your way up because you're just, you know, you're getting into these people's pants and then you're taking advantage of them and you're manipulating them. And it's like, there's this idea that people who are, in sex work for whatever reason. They are manipulative and they're evil and they are doing things for power and for money that they shouldn't have and like all of these other reasons and yet there's still a market for it right like it's this weird that dichotomy and it's like looking at this it's like she happened to be at the right place at the right time in a lot of different ways she had a rough time of it in the beginning she was super popular as an actress but she quit she went off with this dude this dude was terrible to her she was spinning wool she found religion then she found justinian It's not like she was like, I am going to sleep with everyone in the royal court until I get to Justinian. Like she was living her life. She met someone. She was his mistress. She did that for a while, but it didn't work out. So she went and had more of her life. Another career change, spinning wool whatever but it's like this idea that she was gunning for empress that's what you read about so it's really hard to find to figure out of the things that are said about her which of them are truly shitty behavior and how much of it is propaganda because of the vitriol that has been sort of directed at her for such a long time now
0: to be fair i don't think that her shitty behavior towards empress uh euphoria euphemia i don't necessarily know if that was if that was made up i don't know if that or it was... could have
1: been warranted we don't yeah know. We,
0: we literally don't know it could have been
1: real it could have been warranted it could have been propaganda it could have been a whole number of things uh, somebody said something once like oh theodora was kind of rude to euphemia the other day and then Other people were
0: like... I am sort of inclined to believe it just because, you know, I do like a good bit of juicy-ass gossip. And plus, it's not just euphemia that she supposedly had a beef with. Anyone who was sort of... She even remotely felt were noble women encroaching on her thing. Like, But again, it could all be, but, you know, I'm just sort of... And maybe that's my own internalized misogyny and something that I need to look at. But, you know, I would not necessarily doubt that... Because... Breakers of the status quo often get a lot of shit, and I'm not saying that if she had a problem with these women that it wasn't completely justified, because I am sure th- that these women were probably fairly catty to her as well, like, because of her Some upbringing. of the history books
1: do say, because Euphemia is Justin's wife. She was very against Justinian marrying Theodora. And, like, at that point, it gets complicated. She's like, I want what's best for people, blah, blah, blah. And she's low class. And we're like, okay, that is shitty behavior, Euphemia. We don't like it. Theodora retaliating, it makes sense. But also,
0: like... I think that maybe I want to believe it because, like, it makes her a little more human and it makes her a little more relatable. Like, because we all have that one person or sometimes many people. I don't
1: think um cuz i'm looking up euphemia right now cuz i'm like i need to know what this beef is about yeah. and euphemia was like you can't marry theodora euphemia dies then justinian was able to negotiate the marriage between theodora that was when justin actually created the law that allowed intermarriage between different classes
0: yeah, that sort of makes sense then. If you know you're hot for some dude, he's hot for you. You guys want to get married. I don't know why, but like whatever. And
1: his aunt,
0: his aunt is like Mm-mm. who, to be fair, was basically a mother figure at this point. In True, time. but at the same time, like that's some super shitty behavior. And you know, and I mean, I'm not saying that Euphemia is blameless in this. She's not because she's clearly a bitch. Um, I shouldn't be saying that, but whatever. Here we are. The thing
1: is, is she comes from the same, well, not the same background, but she was a slave and a barbarian, like the traditional term for barbarian, not like D&D barbarian. That would be cool, though. Could you imagine her tanking? (laughs) She's all with like a huge battle axe. (laughs) (laughs) But she was a concubine of one of her owners. So like... I mean, it was totally not consensual. So, like, it's this weird kind of double standard, what was okay for me,
0: but it's not okay for you. But also think about the society and the times that they're living in. Like, I'm not saying that it's right, and I'm not saying that it's okay. And I mean, clearly, I've called Euphemia a bitch, like, how many times in this conversation? But, like, you know, I can also understand, especially in that point in time, when women's status was so precarious and so razor-edged, being freaked out by somebody who's younger, smarter, craftier, clever, dances with bears, stimulates sex with swans. <laughs>
1: She did that like consensually and joyfully and definitely differently from like being a slave and a concubine for force, yeah. But did you know that her name is where euphemism
0: comes from? No, I did not, but I am not surprised. Mm. Isn't that neat? And this has been Random Facts with Jillian and Kendra. (laughs) I mean, but I can also understand why she would be freaked out by this woman who has made all these choices and all of these things. So what we're saying is, euphemia she got to where she is for numerous reasons and she felt
1: that she didn't have a choice in what she did therefore she wasn't she was morally superior like there's a lot of things that she could have thought and so she was doing what she thought was right i know that that's most people in the world no matter what they're doing they're doing because they think they have they're doing the right thing very rarely do people make decisions because they're like this
0: will be the wrong decision right most people like most people don't (laughs) i'm saying
1: most people there's there's obviously people who make decisions all the time and they're like i know this isn't the right right decision and i'm gonna make it anyway but i mean even people who if they're robbing because they don't have enough resources or money or whatever they are making the best choice that they can they may know that morally it's not super sound but you've got to survive right and survival trumps morality sometimes absolutely and like i get it. But most people, and that's why I said most people, most people feel that they are doing things for the right reasons. Yeah. That's where it gets complicated because she obviously felt she was doing things for the right reason. Theodora thought she was doing things for the right reason. Justin and Justinian think it. A lot of people. Yeah, I've got to make that caveat because there are people out there who are like, "Mm, how can I create absolute havoc? I know it is not the right thing, but it is the thing that will get me what I want.
0: Or even just, you know, sometimes on a Saturday night, you feel like making a bad life choice, you know, not making a
1: bad life choice for someone else. Like, you know.
0: It's cool. (laughs) Whatever. All of the fun
1: with none of the repercussions. Don't take my advice, folks.
0: (laughs) The name of this podcast could also be like hashtag Jillian and Kendra sometimes go on caveats of things not to do. Um, And I can also definitely see and definitely understand how, you know, you have these two women who come from the same sort of social class, um, one who had far more say in her situation being Theodora than Euphemia did and why that would create some tension. I'm not saying that either one of them were in the right in the way that they dealt with and the way that they handled their thing. Not that we have that much, I mean, historical proof or, or, or like, you know, first person accounts of, of what actually happened and what actually transpired between these two women. But it does make sort of sense. And it can also then make sense because this is a rumor or trend that we sort of see in Theodore's life that, it's yes, definitely. It's Theodora's gag where, you know, she, uh, she has these ongoing sort of issues with um, anyone who she sees could potentially be a threat to her partnership or of a certain higher standing woman. Um,
1: she went against a rioting mob. Yeah,
0: she's a badass.
1: Her idea of self-preservation had a very different focus. Some people, they're like, survival means I live my life another day. Hooray, hooray. I have escaped the bad situation. She's like, no. My, my, for me to survive, I... I'm going to keep my pride. I'm going to keep all of the work that I've done. And I'm going to go out fighting. I would rather be a martyr than be alive. It's
0: better to die on your feet than live on your knees. Like, I mean, it's literally the ultimate Camusian. Yeah.
1: Come back with your shield or on it. Like there's so much of this idea of like, if you run away from it, you are less than. And for me, as a person who has, in fact, run away from dangerous and bad situations. That's where I'm a little dubious. Like, yes, I believe there's times to stay and fight if you are informed enough and you understand who you're up against. Theodora knew that. But could Justinian have fought that fight? No, God, no. Without her? No. Right? Like, that's where it's like she told him, you know, go get on your boat, you big baby. I'm going to go fight this fight. But if it wasn't he for her... He would have
0: for, like, almost 20... or over 20 more years. And I think Mm -hmm. that this is something that even the most Theodoraists of historians of this time, you know, don't really sort of, I mean, there's an acknowledgement, but I don't think that there's a real recognition and stuff like that of just sort of what a role she kind of played in you know, because after this, like, as you said, you know, like the building of Constantinople, or as it was known at this point in time, Byzantium, not only what that means for that city in general, but pretty much for the West and the way that cities and stuff like that from that point in time forward for for a couple of a good couple of hundred years we organized and stuff like that, like the administrative and, you know, public works. And there's a word that I want to use that I can't for the life of me. And we used Infrastructure. It. There we go. Infrastructure and stuff like that. Like, I mean, this is stuff that was all carried out through the rest of, you know, I mean, they adopted some of it in Rome. They adopted some of it in, you know, places like Moscow and, you know, Belgrade and all these like sort of big cities around the world. I'm using that in quotation marks. The
1: word. quote unquote known Western world because it can only be known if it's known by white dudes. <laughs> oh
0: Jesus. So it's it's one of these things where I mean yes she is definitely borrowing the ideas from the Romans and the Greeks, but she's also putting her own spin on it and 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 really sort of I mean there is a reason why it's called the Byzantine Empire and Justinian is pretty much like the second Byzantine Empire, third Byzantine Empire emperor at this point in time. Like the Byzantine Empire was an empire that lasted for a millennia. They were not fucking around. Gates wrote a poem about them. These are some badass people. And a lot of that and a lot of the long standingness and the longevity of this empire has to do with Theodora. So these ideas are carried through and then brought into the Ottoman Empire and all these different things. And then, you know, you get the Austro Hungarian Empire and all this shit. And, you know, I don't think we appreciate the role that she played within this sort of the, the creation of the Near East. And the contributions that they in turn ended up making to the rest of the Western world, which is sort of fantastic. Her contributions to like sort of they're kind of amazing. Um, and then also the propaganda aspect of, of her abilities as a leader and as and she sort was of- very
1: pragmatic too, right? She's pragmatic. She, there was a lot of empathy for people who were in danger or in trouble. There's a lot of empathy shown in the legislation that she passed and a lot of, you know, care in creating infrastructure. Like these are, you don't, you ignore infrastructure when you are focused on, when you are not focused on the people and what they need.
0: Or if you're hell bent on on conquest and conquering, stuff like that. Because look at what happened in the downfall of Rome. I mean, part of why Rome fell which in some ways is really important to the role of Theodora and Justinian is they expanded too much. They expanded too far and their infrastructure and their ability to take care of their people collapsed. I mean, people were starving people, you know. And then and you,
1: if you can't take care of your people, they're no longer your people if you have that much distance between you.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, you speak that many languages and stuff like that. And I think that Theodora probably knew this because, you know, the fall of Rome was not that I mean, because she was in, what, 560, something around there, and, like, Ravenna finally fell in, like, 456. This is technically within living memory,
1: technically. She died 548. She was born 497. She definitely knew. It was only 30 years before. So she's taking
0: lessons that, you know, Constantine, who Constantinople was named after, and, and some of the later, you know, Roman emperors should have learned and should have known and applied them to this new burgeoning empire, the Byzantine Empire, and and trying to figure out a way to make it work and make it sustainable and all of these things. And this is why, you know, the Byzantine Empire lasted for fucking another millennia. Like, I mean, she's amazing.
1: So I think we're going to get to the part where we talk about if Theodora was alive today what would she do?
0: Oh, God, she would champion sex work. And I think that she would also probably be making sure that the lowest, or the people in the lowest economic sphere would be taken care of, especially during a plague, because that was one of the things that she also did. When the plague was running through Constantinople, or Byzantium, whichever you want to call it, both are correct at this point in time, she made sure that they had food. She made sure that that these people who were suffering, We're taking care of. Like her empathy for her people is a thing that we need more of and we need examples of in today's world.
1: I look at AOC, who talks about universal basic income, and that is Shades of Theodora. I see people put forth legislation to decriminalize sex work. And there's just so many people working on that right now that I don't have a single name in my head. But there's a lot of women out there doing the work that says, We need a larger safety net for our most vulnerable people. Them being vulnerable doesn't make them weak or less worthy. We need to take care of them because they are human and they are ours. And I think definitely decriminalizing sex work is another thing. And looking at what are, especially during a plague and an economic downturn, Getting people through the plague and then creating jobs where we create infrastructure and we create support to help us the next time something like this happens, right? Put in protections in place.
0: I think she would also be really, really, really big on the ending of child marriage. And stuff like that, which is a strange thing that is still happening within the United States right now. And we don't talk about it. Like, I think
1: that she she's was, big
0: on consent and not just consent, like enthusiastic consent, yep. not just mumbled. Like, not
1: coercive consent, not like
0: enthusiastic fucking consent, which is the only kind of consent, kids. Like, seriously, enthusiastic consent or it's not consent. And
1: enthusiastic consent is sexy. So, like, so sexy.
0: Um. I think that like her whole mission right now would just be that it's the job of the ruling class to take care of the lower classes in a way that gives their life dignity and meaning and safety in a way that. I don't think that we're seeing right now except for like with, you know, some of the younger members members of Congress and political movements that we have here in Poland and in the United States and some of the younger people that you're seeing around in, in um, various and sundry countries, which is just so goddamn inspiring. All right, Ms. Kendra, shout out. Shout out time. Shout out time.
1: So my shout out this week is going out to uh, my friend Camille, who is my partner in crime, partner in getting shit done. And just generally, she does a lot of work around facilities and events and taking care of people. And I think this is an excellent episode to talk about her and all of the work she does to make sure people feel cared for, make sure people feel important, make sure people are getting what they need to be happy as well as productive um, with the focus being on the happy and the healthy and the productive being a pleasant offshoot of having yes. healthy and yes. happy p- people right around you. Also, there is a lot of sharing of uh, raccoon memes and pictures of dogs in sweaters and other things that help keep me sane. And hopefully I do the same for her, but she really like her dedication to caring for people is why she is on
0: my list this week awesome my list um is a friend of mine named tamika whom i have known for god 20 years jesus she used to tend bar at one of my favorite bars in the whole wide world um in my hometown and she recently just got elected to local office and she is an amazing woman of color and her entire thing and goal is to make the community that she lives in a better, stronger, happier, more inclusive place and to really help people understand that while it is important to vote in primary elections, meaning like presidential elections and stuff like that, but like real change comes from getting involved in your local government And um, a couple years ago, I got to write a couple of really amazing Facebook posts for her. And then this year, I was lucky enough to actually get to vote for her for city council. And um, she's amazing. And she won. Yay! And I'm genuinely in awe of her dedication and passion about local politics and helping people. She's just fucking inspiring. So, Tamika. Yay. Yay! Yay! Um, have a great week you guys um, remember to leave us any shout-outs of badass women that you guys want to hear in some future episodes and we will absolutely get that we also are looking for any sort of badass women that you may know about that we may not because we're always on the lookout for fantastic inspiring women throughout history that we can learn more about we'll see you next week see you next week Women of History, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere you listen to podcasts.